Today's gospel is so commonly misunderstood that this morning we'll take a few minutes just to make sure that we have the right idea about the situation. And everything we'll talk about today, virtually everything, was taken from this book. It's a great book called The Life and Glories of St. Joseph. Mine's kind of exploded over the years. But if you just have one book in your library about St. Joseph, this is the one to have. The Life and Glories of St. Joseph. It's uh, one of those tan books, okay? Any unattributed quotes that I... I uh, quote today, they're also taken from this book, so I'm not going to stop and say quote, you know, page so-and-so, so the, the, the rest un, unattributed quotes are taken from this work. A few uh, points before we deal directly with the gospel. We'll look at some of the privileges of St. Joseph, and then we'll go turn to the gospel after that. So first point, the holiness of St. Joseph. St. Alphonsus, doctor of the church, explains, quote, the dignity of St. Joseph is superior to that of all the saints saving only that of the Virgin Mother, close quote. Since St. Joseph is holier than all the angels and saints, quote, the holy doctors are unanimous in concluding that there was no grace, gift, or privilege granted out to an angel or saint which is not granted in a much higher degree to St. Joseph. Otherwise, he would doubtless appear to be in some respect inferior to one or another among them, close quote. Now, wait a minute, Father. What about Matthew 11.11? When our Lord says, Amen, I say unto you, there hath not risen among them that are born of women a greater than John the Baptist. If no man born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist, then how can we say that St. Joseph is the greatest saint after Our Lady? What's that all about? Pope Benedict the Fourteenth answers. He explains that in this case, our Lord was not speaking absolutely, but comparatively. In other words, the Pope explains, our Lord was comparing St. John the Baptist to the saints and prophets of the Old Testament. And the Lord was not speaking about himself, or the Blessed Virgin Mary, or St. Joseph, all three of which are born of women and are much greater than St. John the Baptist. So it was a comparative. Okay, second point, St. Joseph was sanctified before his birth. Quote, St. Joseph is always, in the opinion of the doctors of the Church, held to be next to the Blessed Virgin, the purest and the most holy among creatures, and worthy for the sake of the divine Son and his mother, to be liberated and purged from original sin immediately after his conception. And this doctrine, the doctrine that St. Joseph was freed from original sin immediately after his confession, professed by the great doctors, may be considered as generally held and believed by devout Christians. Third point, St. Joseph was freed from concupiscence. Now remember, concupiscence means this rebellion of our sense appetites, huh? like our passions and emotions against right reason. It's one of those wonderful little gifts we got from Adam. Okay? That means that instead of being led by reason, we can all be led by our passions huh? or our appetites. And once we realize that, it makes it clear what concupiscence does. It inclines us very strongly towards sin. Thanks a lot, Adam. Of course, Our Lady, because of her immaculate conception, is completely free from concupiscence. But Our Lady um, is not the only one, although she was free immediately in immaculate conception. Quote, it was fitting that St. Joseph should be speedily cleansed from original sin. It was also fitting that it should, by special privilege, be freed from this rebellion of the flesh, which is its consequence. Not only was St. Joseph freed without delay from original sin, but his beautiful soul was also delivered from concupiscence, filled with the Holy Spirit and with the plenitude of his gifts. 
Fourth point, St. Joseph's vow of virginity. St. Francis de Sales, Doctor of Church, explains, quote, Both Our Lady and St. Joseph had made a vow to preserve their virginity for their entire lives. St. Jerome, Doctor of the Church, quote, Not only Mary, but also her spouse Joseph, was ever a virgin, so that of this virginal marriage, a virginal son should be born. St. Peter Damian, another Doctor of the Church, quote, The faith of the Church is that the Son of God, not content with having a virgin for his mother, will that he who represented his father should also be a virgin. St. Thomas Aquinas, Angelic Doctor of the Church, he asks, quote, how, the, how could the Most Holy Virgin give her hand as a spouse to St. Joseph, seeing that she had made a vow of virginity? He answers, The Blessed Virgin, before contracting the spouse of St. Joseph, was certified by God that he himself had formed the same resolve of per- preserving perpetual virginity, and therefore she exposed herself to no peril by union with him. As one theologian notes, quote, It is also to be considered not only that Joseph was a virgin, but that God, by special grace, had extinguished him all the carnal fire of concupiscence, so that free from all temptation, he could dwell with the most holy and most beautiful Virgin Mary. 5. St. Joseph was a just man. St. Jerome, Doctor of the Church, quote, St. Joseph is called just on account of having possessed all virtues in a perfect degree. So let's summarize. St. Joseph was holier than all the angels and saints, excepting Our Lady. He's sanctified before birth, being freed from original sin immediately after his conception, and at the same time being freed from concupiscence. His perpetual virgin was called just because he had all the virtues to a perfect degree. Now that we've taken a quick look at some of the privileges of St. Joseph, let's quickly cover some background information so that we can clear up the confusion that arises concerning today's gospel. According to saints and doctors of the church, including uh, St. Epiphanius, St. Jerome, St. Gregory Nazianzen, and St. Basil, when Our Lady was three years old, St. Joachim and St. Anne brought her to the temple so that she could be educated with the other girls in divine service. The saints tell us that during this time, besides studying and meditating on sacred scriptures, she made vestments for the priests and clothing for the poor. It's generally believed that St. Joachim and St. Anne died during the time that Our Lady was at the temple, so that when it came time for her to be married, the priest wound up being responsible for determining who her spouse was going to be. St. Gregory Nazianzen, St. Epiphanes, and St. Germanus all state that the priests cast lots, which fell on St. Joseph to be the spouse of Our Lady, but none of them tell how the lots were cast. A pious tradition that comes from us to, to, from ancient times tells us the Holy Spirit inspired the high priest to summon all the unmarried men from the house of David to appear in the temple and to command that each of these men should bring a rod with his name inscribed on it. It's very much like what Moses asked for with Aaron. The rods were left overnight. In the morning, a white dove alighted on one, and it bloomed and blossomed. That was St. Joseph's. In any event, they got married. And then, according to the fathers and doctors, after they were married, they then, quote, renewed in a solemn and absolute form their respective vows of perpetual virginity. Now, before we continue, some might be wondering how could Our Lady and St. Joseph validly contract marriage if they'd already made a vow of virginity? After all, once someone has made a solemn vow of perpetual virginity, it's impossible for them to validly contract marriage. They can't contract for marriage. A marriage, a solemn vow of, of virginity, makes a marriage no, any attempt null and void before they even start. So given that, how could Our Lady and St. Joseph Valley contract a marriage? St. Augustine and St. Thomas explain 
that they had made two vows of virginity. The first vow that each one of them made in their youth was simple and conditional. In other words, it was dependent on God not disposing otherwise. The second vow was made immediately after marriage, and that was absolute, perpetual, and without limitation. So the first vow made in their youth, it's simple and conditional. Second's made after their marriage and is solemn and perpetual. A conditional vow of virginity doesn't protect, prevent somebody from, from validly contracting marriage. Now having said that, don't make this kind of vow or any other vow without checking with your confessor first. Don't make vows without clearing it with a confessor. That's just a rule. I want to say that right now, so if anybody's inspired, wait, consult with your confessor. Don't do it without talking to confessor. Okay. So because the first vow by Our Lady and St. Joseph was not solemn but conditional, they could validly contract for marriage. And then, after they're validly married, they can make a solemn vow, an absolute form uh, of, this, uh, of their uh, vows of perpetual virginity. Married life. While preaching to the Council Fathers of the Council of Constance, the great medieval theologian Gerson said, quote, Joseph knew that he was the head of Mary because the husband is the head of the wife. Nevertheless, his veneration for her was so profound that he considered himself unworthy to be her companion or even to kiss the ground on which she had trod. And he was always on the watch to render her some service, even if it were unrequested. And then he loved her so exceedingly that he would readily have given his heart's blood for her. And yet, on the other hand, no less was the love and reverence which Our Lady had for St. Joseph. She rejoiced to serve him as her Lord, respect him as her leader and guardian, and tenderly love him as her spouse. Close quote. So Our Lady tenderly loved and respected St. Joseph, but still, after the Annunciation, she did not go and tell him that she had just become the mother of God. Why not? In the first place, St. Gabriel didn't instruct Our Lady to tell St. Joseph. In the second place, she knew with perfect confidence that God would make all this perfectly clear to St. Joseph in due time. In the third place, since she was perfectly humble, she didn't want to personally announce anything which would seem to praise and glorify herself. In the fourth place, she knew that if she told St. Joseph that the Word had become flesh within her, he would believe her, but he'd be totally overcome with reverence and awe. So she kept silent about her situation and only told St. Joseph about her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy. St. Bonaventure and St. Francis de Sales, these are both bishops and doctors of the church, along with St. Bernardine of Siena, all teach that when Mary went to visit St. Elizabeth, St. Joseph accompanied her. So what? Well, that means that St. Joseph was present when Our Lady greeted St. Elizabeth, and that he heard St. Elizabeth respond with that greeting, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? St. Joseph heard that, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And he thought about it. Now St. Joseph knew that his wife was unspeakably holy. He knew, like no one else except God himself knew, he knew like no one else except God himself can ever know, how unutterably holy and sinless his wife was, that she lived a life of perfect moral beauty. And he knew that, like him, she had taken a vow of perpetual virginity. And, of course, St. Joseph himself was the very man that God had chosen from all eternity to be the man that he was going to look up to as an example of manhood, as an example of manliness, to be the man that raised him, to be the husband of his mother, 
to be a man purified. He purified him from the very moment after his conception from original sin and concupiscence. Um, in other words, St. Joseph is great, incredible, and holy saint himself. And he knew the scriptures. He knew full well that some 800 years before, the prophet Isaiah had spoken to the Messiah and prophesied in chapter 7, verse 14, that, quote, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, close quote. And he certainly knew that according to prophecies, the Redeemer was due at any moment. He was being he's expected at that particular point in history. And then here he hears St. Elizabeth say, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, and whence is this, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. His wife's a virgin, and yet St. Elizabeth called her mother. And not just any mother, St. Elizabeth has called her the mother of my Lord. And so he thought about it. And then, as we hear in the scriptures, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. St. Jerome says, by whom was Our Lady found with child? Certainly, but by no one, but by Joseph. And the scriptures tell us what happened next. We heard it in today's gospel. Quote, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost, whereupon Joseph, her husband, notice her husband, her husband, they were married. Our Lady was married to St. Joseph, okay. She's found with child of the Holy Ghost, whereupon Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing publicly to expose her, was minded to put her away privately. Now we already can see what's going through St. Joseph's mind. But before we go any farther, let's deal with this most common error about this gospel passage. Let's note that if a man found his wife guilty of adultery under the law of Moses, that he wasn't given the option of concealing if it became known to him. Under Mosaic law, the husband was forbidden to conceal the adultery of his wife. When scripture says St. Joseph was a just man, that means, among other things, that he kept the Mosaic law. All of it. Every last detail. So what's your point, Father? Well, St. Jerome points out that Joseph was a just man. And so if Joseph did not denounce Our Lady and was considering putting her away privately, then obviously he did not and could not have suspected Our Lady in any way. Because if he did suspect her, if otherwise St. Joseph did suspect Our Lady and yet he did not expose her, then he'd be a sinner, he'd be guilty of deliberately breaking the Mosaic Law, and he wouldn't be able to be called a just man. Joseph didn't suspect Our Lady in any way, not even for a moment. So what was he doing? That great bishop and doctor of church, St. Francis de Sales, summarizes the teaching of a whole host of fathers and bishops. He's going to rely especially on St. Bernard, as you'll see. Quote, St. Francis de Sales, quote, The humility of St. Joseph, as St. Bernard explains, was the cause of his desiring to abandon Our Lady when he perceived her to be with child. St. Bernard says that St. Joseph reasoned thus within himself. What is this? I know that she's a virgin, for together we took the vow of preserving our virginity and our purity, in which she certainly would not have failed. On the other hand, I can see that she's with child, that she's a mother. And how can maternity and virginity subsist together? How should not virginity be an obstacle to maternity? Might it be, he then said, that she is that glorious virgin of whom the prophet declares that she should conceive and bring forth the Messiah. If this be so, far be it for me to abide any longer with her, I who am unworthy to do so. It were better that I should secretly leave her on account of my unworthiness and not live any longer in her company. Marvelous sentiments of humility. Close quote, St. Francis de Sales, Bishop and Doctor of the Church.
The scriptures continue. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in his sleep, saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Pope Benedict XIV explains the meaning of the angel's expression, in case there's any doubt. Quote, the meaning of the angel's mandate is this, retain and keep the wife you've taken, and do not forsake her. Close quote, the vicar of Christ. In other words, the angel's just saying, relax, you're all right, don't leave her. Okay, now we can all understand the correct meaning of today's gospel. Let's quickly review. We've seen that St. Joseph is holier than all the angels and saints, excepting, of course, the Blessed Virgin. We've seen that he was sanctified before birth, being freed from original sin in the moment immediately after his conception, and at the same time being freed from concupiscence. He's a perpetual virgin. He's called a just man because he possessed all the virtues in a perfect degree. We've seen that Our Lady grew up in the temple, and that St. Joseph was selected as her spouse when the priest cast lots to determine to whom Our Lady would be married. We've seen they both made simple conditional vows of, of virginity in their youth, and that because that first vow made by both Our Lady and St. Joseph was not solemn but conditional, they could validly marry. We've seen that once they validly contracted for marriage, then they each immediately renewed in a solemn and absolute form their vows of perpetual virginity. We've seen that after the Annunciation, Our Lady told St. Joseph about Elizabeth's pregnancy, but she did not disclose her own. We've seen that during the visitation, St. Joseph accompanied Our Lady, and that he heard St. Elizabeth say, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That he pondered the fact that his wife was a virgin, but that St. Elizabeth had called her mother and the mother of the Lord. And that he was certainly aware of the prophecy of the virgin birth. That once he saw that she was pregnant, he considered leaving her, not because he suspected her of anything, because he never suspected Our Lady of anything, but because he thought of himself as being totally unworthy to be in the company of the mother of the Redeemer. But the angel reassured him and told him to put those ideas out of his head. He's where he needed to be. Let's close by kneeling down, unite ourselves to a prayer dedication to the great St. Joseph. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. O glorious St. Joseph, chosen by God to be the foster father of Jesus, the chaste spouse of Mary of the Virgin, and the head of the Holy Family, and then appointed by the Vicar of Christ to be the heavenly patron and defender of the Church founded by Jesus, most confidently do I implore at this moment thy powerful aid for all the Church militant on earth. Do thou shield with thy truly paternal love, especially the Supreme Pontiff and all the bishops and priests who are in union with the Holy See of Peter. Be the defender of all who labor for souls amidst the trials and tribulations of this life, and cause all the peoples of the earth to submit themselves in a docile spirit to that church, which is the ark of salvation for all men. Be pleased also, dear St. Joseph, to accept this dedication of myself, which I now make unto thee. I dedicate myself wholly to thee, that thou mayest ever be my father, my patron, and my guide in the way of salvation. Obtain for me great purity of heart and a fervent devotion to the interior life. Grant that following thine example, I may direct all my actions to the greater glory of God, in union with the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary, and in union with thee. Finally, pray for me, that I may be a partaker in the peace and joy which were thine at the hour of thy holy death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.